Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. I'd like to welcome Senefer Mendoza as today's guest on The Business of You. Senefer is the founder and general partner of Mendoza Ventures, a Boston-based pre-seed fintech, AI, and cybersecurity venture capital firm. After having a career in enterprise sales and hospitality design, Senefer began Mendoza Ventures to address the growing funding gap in the pre-seed investment stage. They invest in areas where they have a deep domain expertise, companies with early revenue, and a clear value prop. One unusual aspect of Mendoza Ventures is that they focus on diversity as playing an important role in their investment decisions. Roughly 75% of Mendoza's portfolio consists of startups led by immigrants, people of color, and women. And when Senefer is not busy working and investing and growing companies in her portfolio, she's really busy growing her two young children. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You. Today I have with me on The Business of You, Senefer Mendoza. How are you, Senefer? Good. How are you? Good, good. So excited to dive into your story, which is a, a fascinating one. Would, would love to hear how you got started in the venture capital space and, um, you know, if you could share some of the bumps in your road to, to getting here, that would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started a venture capital firm, so that's how I got started. Um, we had two startups that were in the mobile ad tech space. And when we went to exit the board, like lots of founders said, go find something to do while we find a buyer for this. And so we did. And the number one thing for us was that after experiencing venture capital, that check basically comes from an ATM. (laughs) Like there's no transparency to the other side of it. And for us as first-time founders, we made all the mistakes that all first-time founders make. We hired the wrong developers. We learned how to scale a team by skinning our knees. And, um, you know, to the point that a couple of years ago, an investor came up to us and said, I invested in your startup and he's this really knowledgeable tech guy. And I said, great, where were you? Like, we really could have used you. And so we built a firm that created a lot of transparency with the startup at the heart of it so that that startup could have the help that they need on the bad days and the celebrations that they need on the good days and created a lot of transparency between them and their source of money to help them grow their companies faster. And I think, you know, like all parents, we want them to have a smoother ride than we did. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to hear you uh, refer to it as parenting companies because it's very much like giving birth, having your own thing and growing it. Like having kids. It is for ours. Mm -hmm. I would say our our founders teach me 10 times more than I think I could teach them in a day. (laughs) That's amazing. So 
The companies you and your husband had in the past, when you say we, I'm assuming that's who you're referring to, right? Yeah, I'm married to my co-founder. His name's Adrian Mendoza, and he's a business technologist. Yeah. And the companies you had pre the VC company, had you gotten, you had raised VC funding for those companies? The two yes, had? we had. Mm-hmm. We raised about $4 million in VC funding in about like 2010 through 2014-ish. So before it was like cool to raise large early seed rounds. Um, and you know, it was a process. He's Mexican-American and he was the one doing the pitching in 2010 on the East Coast. That was a different experience. Um, there was no Latinx VC community like there is now. Thankfully, that's been built. Um, and there wasn't the cohort of young emerging funds and diverse angel groups that there is now, which was which is also a great progress that we've seen in the industry. Um, and yeah, we raised about $4 million and then exited those startups and started this. Mm-hmm. That's great. Was it when you were on the receiving end of VC money that you first got the seed of the idea to want to eventually own a company that invests in other companies or, or no? I think it was, you know, when you're raising VC money, you don't have time to think about a lot. <laughs> so I think we're, we're definitely in the trenches. I think it was once we were starting to get ready to exit and we had a little bit of bandwidth, you know, we took a step back and thought, do we want to go work at a corporation that's progressive and wants to, you know, learn these skills that we've just learned? I was the COO, he was the CEO. Um, or do we want to take what we've just experienced and improve upon the model? And I think like all entrepreneurs, the obvious answer was the more difficult one. <laughs> and so we uh, we improved upon the model of VC. And so, you know, we had great VCs that did an awesome job supporting us, but they did a traditional job supporting us. And so for us, we just thought, you know, the initial thought was if you just built an entire VC firm around supporting a healthy company, instead of running the traditional model of I'm going to write a hundred checks and I'm going to assume that 85% of those are going to go out of business. How could you change outcomes for founders? And so that shouldn't be a disruptive idea to have transparency and have everyone in the same boat rowing in the same direction, but it is. And, um, and we found that, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We have a top decile fund for our fund one and lots of founders that are getting the help that they need. Mm-hmm. That's great. So what does that look like, actually, when you say, you know, we're a traditional and we support in ways that a more traditional VC doesn't? Well, tactically, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of coordination. So we have a smaller portfolio. So in a seed stage fund, a traditional VC will invest in a hundred startups. And the math behind that is 85% go out of business, about 10% 10x, and then you get a couple unicorns hopefully in there. Um, we didn't really want to depart with a check. And part of this is that we started with some of our own money and we are we were not yet billionaires. So that money was near and dear to us. And I didn't want to write a check unless I believed in it. You know, that inherent model with all that waste just seemed really broken. And so we do more of a private equity venture capital approach where we have about 15 portfolio companies per fund. We do a lot of diligence with them up front. And that diligence is designed around help or get out of the way for the startup. So it looks like them getting on the phone with us and us saying, how can we help this week? You know, what do you need for your business? And in that two to three months, we figure out mostly if we're a really good team and if we can work together. Um, And then after we write the check, it looks like a board seat usually because we're usually first institutional capital in. Um, And then lots more of the same. (laughs) How can we help what's broken this week? And us 
pulling from our investor base to be able to help them. So our investors are a mix of people with skills, like everything from marketing to technologists, all sorts of different skills, um, institutions and foundations that are all willing to pick up a cell phone if a founder's broken something or doesn't know what to do next or had somebody quit or, um, and and not freak out. Because <laughs> venture is in and of itself, if, you're, if you can't set fire to the money, you should be investing in venture capital. And so, um, so we set out to create that and it, you know, it sounds easy, but six years later, that community is now built and established. And my job is a lot easier because lots of those people know each other and do a lot of Mm cross-referencing. So aside from the ratios being different in terms of investing, it sounds like you're way more hands-on than the average VC as well. Is that right? We are, but we've given ourselves the bandwidth to do that. There's no way that you could do what we do with a hundred companies. What happens with a hundred companies is you pick your winners early and you spend your time there anyway. And so that also reinforces a lot of the bias and inclusion difficulties that VC has because you're picking your winners before they've performed. Interesting. Okay. And you started in 2016. So mm-hmm. are you're on your third fund right now. Is that right? Raising your yeah. third fund? So okay. fund one was a proof of concept fund for us. It was our money and some friends that we knew could take the risk <laughs> and we're willing to pick up a cell phone. And um, that one did well. So fund two is a $10 million fund that we oversubscribed to $14 million. That's now deployed except for follow-ons, which was awesome. And now we're raising fund three, which is a $100 million fund. We're doing a first close shortly with an institutional anchor, which is really exciting. Oh, that's amazing growth for you guys too. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is um, this sector needs money. You know, we have this amazing class of diverse investors that have done these micro funds of everywhere from five to $20 million. And so now we have the most diverse class of funded startups ever. So from a selfish business capitalistic perspective, I'm in a great spot having a hundred percent underrepresented GP team to be able to access those startups. They want to work with us and we want to work with them. So we, you know, we were just raising the capital to do it. There's a real gap in the market here. Mm-hmm. Here in the Boston area where you're located or more here in the industries you specialize in, which is fintech, AI, and cyber? Yes. Just <laughs> yes, a second. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> okay. Um, 1% of all general partners in VC firms at all are women. And that doesn't mean founding general partners. So the tricky thing about inclusion is that as you go up the capital stack, it's still bad. <laughs> it gets worse at each layer. And so our the way that we approach it is that we should always be pulling ourselves up, hence raising a $100 million fund so that institutional diverse capital is there for these startups. But then also we should be pulling someone up with us. So we are um, advising funds and helping funds that are just after us raising their first 10 or $20 million fund now. Okay. You shared something with me pre-interview that I I just wanted to make sure we talked about for a second, which was this VC company was actually your side hustle for a little while. Yeah, it was. I would say maybe my full-time job was my side hustle, (laughs) but (laughs) I was putting in a lot of hours. Um, But we started in 2016 and we started with our own money. And this is our fourth startup together. So we've, we've had startups before. We have great family conversations about risk and what we want to do next. 
Um, but I stayed in my full-time job until 2018. And when I committed to Mendoza Ventures full-time in 2018, I did it on a six-month trial. And I still have a job. So that six months went pretty well. <laughs> with your husband, no less, too. How is it yeah. working with your spouse? Um, for us, it's great. It's not great for everyone. And you really have to um, you really have to be able to protect your marriage and work hard together. But there's great precedent out there. You know, Charles and Ray Eames were an amazing married couple that, you know, did a couple things for the United States. <laughs> um, and so we believe in that precedent. And I, I always like to say too, you know, what am I being held up against? You know, gen general partners in VC are um, not very diverse. And like every first generation family, if we were going to start a company, it had to be all in. It had to be a family started business. Yeah, yeah. Um, that first fund you raised, how did you feel more pressure in that one because it was money raised from friends and family versus this much larger one you're raising now, but maybe the, the investors are, you know, not people as close to you, or is it really kind of the same sense of responsibility? It's the same sense of responsibility because, you know, a great example now is that we have a foundation that came into us called the Paw Foundation. It's the preservation for at-risk wildlife. They're great. They save rhinos. If I don't do my job well, rhinos are going to die. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of pressure. All right. It's real pressure. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old girl who would be really mad if I was responsible for lack of rhinos. Um, and so, you know, no matter where the check is coming from, it affects families. And so we take that responsibility very seriously. Mm -hmm. So true. What are some of the challenges that you see some startup companies facing today? Some common challenges aside from the funding part, because you're covering that, but what are some other common challenges? Yeah. Um, scaling is hard. You know, it is uncomfortable and awkward and someone who's really good at managing a small team is not always someone who's really good at managing a large team. Those are very different skill sets. And so um, watching someone figure out if they're that person or not is always really hard. I think Yahoo is a great example of this. Their C-suite was a revolving door for a year while they figured all this out. And so that's always challenging, but it's also deeply rewarding because I am surrounded by amazing people who are taking great risk to make the world a better place every day. And that's 100% who I want to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you find the majority of the companies that you invest in? Do they seek you out or are you actively looking for also, you know, people that are um, kind of fitting the profile of company that you want to have in your portfolio? We're always actively looking. So we make sure that all the partners in our firm, we call it break your network once a quarter. So my co-founder went to Harvard. Lecturing at Harvard is not breaking his network. <laughs> um, he needs to go to a school that, that he may not know anybody at and talk there um, to make sure that we're diversifying who we see and who we get in front of. And then because we're 100% female and Latinx owned, we get a lot of people that come and find us because we look more like founders than funders. Mm-hmm. That's good. And how do you continue to um, to challenge yourself personally? Center for and grow your own skill set. Yeah, 
that's the great thing about investing in startups. I wake up and usually my personal challenge for the day is already in my inbox before I've opened it. <laughs> um, we've never raised a hundred million dollars before. It has to happen. And so we're learning how to do it. And so challenge hasn't really been the issue. I think I've I've struggled more with burnout and like overdoing it because I get really excited about my work. Um, and that's been the harder thing for me to learn. But we invest in artificial intelligence, financial technology, and cybersecurity. Those are three massive industries with really exciting things happening in them. So if I have a day that feels a little drab, I can literally just like choose a new newsletter and someone's doing something interesting to make tech more inclusive. And how did you pick those three areas to focus in? We are geeks from Boston. And so when we took a step back and said, what could we vet easily with our network? Shockingly, that was the answer. <laughs> hmm. Great. And what are some uh, what are some ways do you think your team would define you, you know, you, your personal brand? What are some attributes if you overheard them, say, talking in the hall about you? How do you think they would be describing you? Passionate, 100%. I am the one on the team that cares too much, you know, to a fault sometimes. Um, which is why I'm glad I'm in venture and not, you know, if I had a team of 300 people, I would be the one worried about everybody. I would not scale gracefully in that direction. Um, and they also say that, you know, we're, we're walking the walk. That's something that I hear back towards us a lot is that we're not just talking about inclusion. We're not just highlighting or amplifying inclusion. We are proactively making sure that people who are very different from ourselves are in every single layer of our company. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think most investors learn about you that may, that might be people that have not invested in, um, in a fund before? Um, investors learn about us through, we've had some press, which is exciting. Um, and so we've had some investors learn about us that way. And then we have some really passionate investors that have joined us who thankfully are telling their friends. Um, and so we've had some investors find us that way as well. That's great. Do you find yourself spending a lot of time on investor education and how the whole how funds work and how one who might be investing in a fund, what to be looking for, how to analyze things or, you know, I just know my husband and I invested in some um, in a venture capital company a couple of years ago in a few specific companies that they were raising money for. And I know we spent a lot of time just learning the ins and outs because for us, it was such a new thing. So just curious how you handle that. Yeah, definitely. Um, BC is not designed to be inclusive. It's not an inclusive model of investing. It's a very closed door backroom industry. And we are, we do, yes, we do spend a lot of time with that, but we don't see it as a heavy lift because that's exactly what we should be doing with our time. Um, because also people took that time with us while we were learning. I think the, the great example of that from this week is every female investor I talk to thinks that there's a certificate to become an accredited investor because we're women. So we're like, there has to be a certificate. Someone must certify me to be able to do this thing. There's no certificate. Like <laughs> you just qualify by having over 2 million assets or you don't. And there's no certificate. No one from the US government will give you a certificate to be an accredited investor. And when I um, first asked my team about this, they laughed because of course you're looking for a certificate, you're a woman. But now I've told like four other women that there's no certificate. Um, and and actually one of them, her, her, C, her CFA that she works with charged her to write a certificate. And I was like, that, I was unimpressed with that. 
um, because he should have just told her to. And so, yeah. Right. And so, um, so that's been, it's, it is part of my job, but also they're giving back as well. So they're giving back with knowledge from their careers and it tends to be more of an equal exchange. It doesn't feel like a lift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what are some of the things that you're most passionate about doing behind the scenes at, at your company? I am incredibly passionate about writing the check. I love giving women millions of dollars to grow their businesses. That is a really good feeling and people of color and LGBTQ people. I am deeply passionate about making sure that generational wealth in the United States looks like the population of the United States. If we're not moving the needle towards that, I should go work somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, what's the largest investment you all have made in one specific company? Um, well, we're gearing up for fund three now. So those investments will be in the $5 million range, which is really exciting. Um, and out of fund two, the largest one was about 1.2 in a cybersecurity company that was founded by a woman. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Uh, how would you, um, how would you, I don't know if, if you can answer this, but what's your goal for an exit for a company or does it vary from company to company, a time period? So loss is part of our model as it is with all venture capital. So out of, you know, 12 to 15 companies, we're expecting four or five losses. We're expecting four or five, five X's and four or five, 10 X plus. So for, and then that gets you to traditional venture capital returns, we think with less waste and a little bit more heart. (laughs) Um, And because of the sectors that we're in, we're not really on that unicorn IPO track. That's pretty rare. It's more um, profitability or early acquisition. So we really coach them towards getting to profitability faster, especially because we have a lot of underrepresented founders. So their stats have to be that much better. and or being acquired early, which is really um, popular in the cybersecurity model, especially because so many people need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you find your relationships with the other local VC companies to be, I mean, do they look at you as like, that's the VC that's really disrupting our model or what's the dynamic like? We see venture capital itself as collaborative over competitive because unless your last name is Andreessen or Horowitz, you're not going to fund your company from the pre-seed through IPO from one VC firm. And so you need to work together as an industry. And part of the reason that we're here is that other VCs who came before wiggled over on a cap table because they knew that we were going to be able to help out their companies and vice versa. And so um, our relationship with other VCs has been pretty amicable. I think some probably do see us as competition, but we probably may not work with them anyway, because we just have really different models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see, foresee any challenges in the world of VC as, um, as the economy on a global scale has been as well, especially in the U S has been fluctuating so much in the, in the recent months? That's a great question. Um, Anytime things are feeling shaky, it's a great time to invest in nimble, small companies that can operate on a dime. You know, that's why, that's partially why we're here. I graduated, I'm going to date myself, but I graduated undergrad in 2004. My entire professional career has been in some sort of disrupted financial state. 
Um, and so we really look at our companies as being essential to people. And we look at, you know, we're in constant conversations with our founders of where can we cut if we need to, and how do we, how do we use this for something else if we need to? And so this is the sector of the market that has gotten me personally through however many recessions, one perpetual recession since 2004 that we've been in. And um, the opportunity for growth here, I think, is worth going back to because I'm I'm glad that I'm not over allocated to the public markets after the past three weeks. <laughs> yeah, so true. So true. <laughs> Well, where do you see yourselves taking uh, taking the, the VC company in the future? Will you stay on the path within these three industries and continue, you know, working with the minority community and, you know, through diversity and inclusion as well? Or, you know, do you see any new avenues that you might explore? So for us, diverse teams outperform. McKinsey released a study in 2020 proving it. And so... It's not really a vertical for us. We just invest like that's a fact, which it is. And so we're, you know, our verticals are AI, FinTech, and cyber. Our next step is to raise $100 million, which is exciting. Um, and then after that, we'll go back to market with a smaller stage fund so that we can adjust that strategy because AI will not be the same AI in five years as it is today. It may be running the world. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and so... So we, we are growing the firm a little bit flatter and a little bit more intentionally for two reasons. A, so that we can always pull more diverse people into venture capital so that there's not layers and layers of associates that you have to work your way up to be able to be part of a fund. And also so that we're not running a theory that we developed 20 years ago. We can always go back and adjust strategy with a smaller seed stage fund so that we can meet the market where it is. So we're going to keep growing, but we're going to grow. If you if you guys want to look at our website, it has a little blob on it. That's our logo, which is like cells dividing because we want to grow more organically and intentionally rather than blitz scale and have, you know, a pyramid structure of investing. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's brilliant. Why do you think diverse teams outperform other teams? So this is not a researched theory, <laughs> but my my working theory is that from what I've seen, if it's a diverse team, someone has inspired someone to their cause. So someone has talked, someone who's radically different from them, from a different background, different socioeconomic class, different country, whatever it is, to follow them onto something and everyone can work together in the same direction. That takes a lot of personal flexibility. You know, I always like to say like, inclusion is awkward. It's never great. It looks good on the posters, but when you're practicing inclusion, someone always says something offensive to someone else or someone makes a bad joke and you always have to sit in that really horrible, uncomfortable moment for a minute and talk through what just happened. If you have a diverse team, they're capable of doing that together. And if you can do that together, you can do anything. <laughs> you can talk about the bad sales numbers. You can adjust strategy. You can put your personal feeling aside in in sharing a common goal. And that's, that's what I think is at the core of what is, mm -hmm. what's making them outperform. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that there's a lot, definitely a lot of truth to that. It's, um, you know, like relationships always, not always often grow stronger through difficult times. Right. And your theory mm -hmm. is let's be super transparent at all time. Right. And we'll keep moving forward together, right. In an open, transparent right. way. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's, what's an ideal day or what's a typical day like for you as a mother with young kids in the world of VC? Um, mayhem. um so a typical day is we drop we have to divide and conquer because our kids go to different schools so we drive in two different directions in the morning um and then we reconvene to come into the city um I was in New York at the start of this week for a few meetings so I flew back um late Tuesday night and then started this routine on Wednesday and I work at the office during the day um, we do have part-time help that helps us in the afternoons. And so today's one of those days. So I have a blissful clean streak until 6 PM, but otherwise I pick them up at three and then I do second shift, like eight to 11 at night. Um, and I would say our whole team is pretty similar. You know, one of the reasons that I was really passionate about VC is it it shouldn't be as hard to work as a woman or as a mom as it is. And I had a lot more ability to impact that change when I was writing the check than when I was an employee. And so um, I have to say that we have a beautiful culture. We have a very dad supportive culture here. Um, And all of our senior staff has something similar where usually there's an afternoon activity and then we check in with each other later. And it's a culture of accountability where if you get your work done and you're, you know, you're doing your thing, go to baseball practice. You should, you know, (laughs) or go to my daughter just joined the lacrosse team and that feels like a big lift on the calendar right now, but we're going to be there. Um, And so so we've created that flexibility in our staff. And it's it's honestly one of the things that I most enjoy because I will never forget the feeling of walking out of my office at 7.30 at night under a deadline, eight months pregnant, when I knew I just couldn't do it anymore and getting side eye, you know, from people being like, you're quitting on us. And I was like, my feet are done. <laughs> um, and so we've led that flexible model by example. And it's one of my favorite things about our culture. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. What sounds like a great place to work. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be hiring soon. So. Well, that's good. Where should people look to learn more about you and your company? So our website is www.mendoza-ventures.com. Um, my first name is Senefer. It's S-E-N-O-F-E-R. So I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Um, and those are probably the two best spots to reach us. That's great. And for companies interested in talking to you, again, go visit your website. Yeah. Or you can send an email to partners at mendoza-ventures.com. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Senefer. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.